Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. While the pandemic has helped fuel a business boom for much of the packaged food and beverage industry, not everyone in the sector has benefited, with women and female-run small businesses in particular taking a hard hit that could have devastating long-term consequences for the industry as a whole unless stakeholders act now to recruit, maintain, and support a diverse workplace and category. According to Pew Research, U.S. employment during the first three months of the pandemic fell a staggering 13%, costing 20.5 million Americans their jobs, which is more than double the toll taken during the Great Recession between 2007 and the end of 2009. The vast majority of these losses have fallen on women. 11.5 million women lost their jobs in the first three months of the pandemic, compared to 9 million men. Since that initial surge of layoffs, furloughs, and voluntary departures from the workforce during the first months of the pandemic, some women have returned, but not at the same rate as before the coronavirus outbreak, according to the Federal Reserve Bank, which reports as of last month, 56.1% of women participated in the work face, up from a low of 54.1% last April, but still a stubborn 1.7 percentage points lower than the 57.8% participation in January 2020 before the outbreak. Research from PricewaterhouseCoopers attributes the pandemic's heavy impact on women in part to pre-existing gender inequalities that place a heavier burden of domestic work and unpaid care on women, and also because women were more highly concentrated in industries hardest hit by social distancing measures. If left unchecked, PwC warns countries in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which includes the U.S., could leave trillions in gross domestic product gains on the table, including potentially $6 trillion from boosting female employment rates and $2 trillion by closing the gender pay gap. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, we explore the impact of the pandemic on women and what it means for the food and beverage industry at large. Leadership from the brewery Sam Adams, meat snack company Larissa's Kitchen, Moringa-based food and beverage company Cooley Cooley Foods, and nice cream startup Kubey also share strategies for recruiting, maintaining, and better supporting women in the food and beverage industry. So in an effort to offset the disproportionate negative impact of the pandemic on women in the food and beverage space, the philanthropic arm of Samuel Adams and the Boston Beer Company last week launched an initiative to help 50 moms pursue their dreams of entrepreneurship in the food and beverage industry. Jennifer Glanville, the Director of Partnerships and Collaborations at Samuel Adams, exclaims as part of this initiative, the long-running Samuel Adams Brewing the American Dream program will offer moms a suite of services and perks that will help them professionally while simultaneously recognizing and easing 
some of the personal obligations that women raising families also must balance. You know, over the last, you know, 18 months now, um, the research has shown that, you know, all small business owners and and especially in food and bev have been impacted greatly, um, but especially women-owned business really have been hit the hardest. Um, There was a report done by the National Bureau of Economic Research that um, there's been an unprecedented drop of 25% um, in women business owners. Um, So hospitality, food, beverage businesses, those are dominated by women. Um, So we know that over 3 million million women have lost their jobs. Um, And I think, you know, the stress of that, layoffs, furloughs, um, you know, managing your employees and your business during this incredibly stressful time and trying to take care of that. And then on top of it, we know women, you know, had limited access to childcare. So if their businesses were open, you know, now they were um, trying to, you know, find childcare for their children or figuring out how to work that. They were, you know, as many moms, whether whether owning a small business or not, many moms became teachers at home. Um, so there was just so much stress. So for Mother's Day, we want to support these amazing entrepreneurs. And um, so part of our Mother's Day package, we're going to be awarding 50 women um, this incredible package of a year's worth of coaching and mentoring um, and training sessions. Uh, a mom's networking group. And, you know, these are areas of graphic design, social media, accounting, legal, finance. So any any topics um, that they need help with, uh, we'll be providing a $500 check to contribute to childcare or groceries. Um, we will have a three-month subscription to City Girl Coffee, um, which is a coffee that sources from women-owned or managed farms and cooperatives. We have a Cami mini camera to help keep tabs on the kids or the house or whatever that you need um, and a, bath, a gift card to uh, Bathorium so you can have some rest and relaxation time and, and uh, you know, help, <laughs> help all with our, with our mental health. Um, and we're going to select 50 women um, and the program is open now until Sunday, May 23rd. Um, it's open to current food and beverage uh, entrepreneurs as well as aspiring ones. So we do encourage you if you're interested in a business, this is a great time to, start talking to someone about maybe what your next steps could be. And so we'll choose the 50. Um, we'll choose them from a, 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 some us here at Samuel Adams, and we'll announce, and we encourage you to check out our website, Green American Dream, um, Facebook or Instagram, for all of our upcoming events and ways we can support you because, you know, these food and beverage businesses are, I can't emphasize enough, so incredibly important they, they grow these vibrant communities around the country and, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic and we just want to be able to support these mom entrepreneurs and future mom entrepreneurs and these small businesses around the country. And we're very thankful for all the hard work and, and the passion that they've had, especially over the last 18 months. One of the unique aspects of this program is that it addresses the whole woman without separating the entrepreneur from the parent, a division that for decades has fostered an uneven domestic divide by effectively turning a blind eye to the double shift that many working women take on when they return home from their jobs. Glanville acknowledges that this was a deliberate decision made by the Samuel Adams Brewing, the American Dream program. Women were sort of, for many decades, told to, you know, leave leave home at home, right? And uh, that that's not possible. It's impossible for anyone to do that. Um, so why should moms be asked to do that as well? So, you know, we thought, you know, $500 to, to have childcare or groceries, that's, 
that's incredibly helpful. And, you know, we know the cost of childcare. We know the stresses of childcare. And you want to make sure your children are, you know, well taken care of while you're working and, and pursuing your dreams. And, you know, just the other small pieces where we thought were really just helpful to say, like, you know, we, we hear you. We know it's challenging. Um, we want to make things a little bit easier, um, even if, you know, just for, just for a little time, we'll, get, we'll give you some coffee. We'll, we want you to, um, you know, feel like you can be organized and, and all the things that really can help. But I do think that, you know, things like childcare and, and, and groceries and things like that are really important to create the whole package. I mean, I, I, I feel, uh, you know, if you think back to times, I, I know from years ago with my mom, I mean, that was exactly the way the world was where it was always separate. And if you have to compartmentalize all these parts of your life, I'm not quite sure you can be so successful. And, you know, we want women to be as successful as possible and we want to help them. I mean, they have so many different hats. They're, they're business owners, they're business people, they're entrepreneurs, they're uh, caregivers, wives, daughters, sisters, you know, everything. So how can we um, tap in and help support all of the responsibilities that, that moms have, especially now? Another initiative launched this month to support entrepreneurs who are also moms is Larissa's List, a digital platform and integrated marketing campaign featuring 40 mom-owned businesses across categories that's being spearheaded by the mom-founded and run snack brand Larissa's Kitchen. While Larissa's List was launched as a digital destination for Mother's Day gift options made by moms, Libby Murrah, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Larissa's Kitchen, explains it also fosters a community of mompreneurs to support each other as they face the unique challenges of growing a business and family simultaneously. You know, we saw an opportunity um, to really celebrate moms and mompreneurs, which is what we're calling them, people, moms or um women who have families but also run their own business, you know, they um, found, we found a really cool opportunity to support and highlight those businesses during the upcoming Mother's Day. So what it is, it's created by our founder and our brand um, from Larissa's Kitchen. It brings together all kinds of gifts from all kinds of different companies that are perfect for moms um, or any woman in your life that are made by moms and during this time, we're also celebrating those mompreneurs or any of these companies that we feature to give kind of love, support, and awareness to those companies. Most of them are very small, um, sort of getting started, and we wanted to show our support as a women-owned business as well. So it highlights a lot of businesses across lots of different categories and price points from jewelry, clothes, beauty, home decor, and all kinds of different stuff. And it was really born out of this idea to try and support moms who are trying to balance both, you know, running their company and building and running a family and dealing with all kinds of challenges that that come with it. It really allows us to give a spotlight to those businesses. We had applications that ran uh, in the month of February. So I think most of the month, actually, we took online applications um, from moms and mom-owned businesses, they could apply uh, to be featured on our site. And we reviewed all of them ourselves and selected those that we felt would be the best fit to reflect our mission and our values um, and be sort of a, a good representation of, of different types of businesses that make, make good gifts on, on a Mother's Day. So that's how we selected them. 
While the website was launched as a destination for Mother's Day, Larissa's Kitchen will host and promote the brands on the list for the rest of the year, as well as provide the company founders with tools to further grow their business. One thing we'll do is, you know, we will celebrate Larissa's list on social media. We'll be highlighting on all of our posts on social media. Um, it will also stay live on the Larissa's Kitchen website for the year so people can find it. Um, we can do, you know, shoppable links, um, which is what we're doing currently, and highlighting businesses, you know, different businesses every couple days um, with some shoppable links, directing them to our pages to help people find different things or get unique ideas from mom-owned businesses um, to purchase. And, you know, I think we will just continue to, to support it that way. We're very excited um, about the promotion. It will be national. Um, one of the things I should note is anyone who is selected, so those 40 business owners that are selected, um, the, those business owners will also receive as a benefit some tools to help grow their businesses, um, both from, you know, obviously we're directing traffic to their, to their sites, which we host on Larissa's list, but we also um, will offer those companies advice from our founder, Larissa, and a membership to Hey Mama, which is a community for women who are balancing families, you know, a business um, or, or a career. And we will encourage our gift givers to show their support, um, you know, supporting these companies, but also our mom owners will get support not only from sales through their companies, but also from advice and professional guidance and an open community of Hey Mama, which is a great forum for all kinds of tips and tricks and great questions to ask, lots of community information, lots of all kinds of things somebody who is a business owner and raising a family may want to know. To help rebuild the female workforce after the pandemic, food and beverage businesses need to support women at all levels and across intersections, which may mean taking a hard look at and potentially adjusting policies, hiring practices, and business priorities to encourage inclusion and diversity. For example, when Lisa Curtis, the CEO of the Moringa-based superfood company Cooley Cooley Foods, became a parent during the pandemic, she realized the importance of creating flexible work environments that are family-friendly in order to recruit and maintain top talent. You know, one of the statistics that has hit me personally or just struck me in a really big way is the idea that America now has the lowest women's labor force participation since 1988, which is the year I was born. And so, like, that stat just to me means, like, all of the progress towards women's equality and women in the workforce over the course of my lifetime has just disappeared overnight and in less than a year. Um, and, you know, some other stats, I, just, I read a lot about this, and it's like, you know, women with young children are, are 60% more likely to drop out of the workforce than working fathers. And so it, it really is a challenge, and this challenge is not equally distributed. It is primarily black and brown women and women who are lower income that it is hit particularly hard. But it's also something that I think is, is a real issue for our society and something that, like, we 
as a nation and as an economy that, you know, is on the precipice of recovery, we need to figure how we get moms back to work Um, because it's a huge part of our labor force, you know, 2.3 million women. And so I think, you know, I have had the interesting experience of becoming a mom during the pandemic and trying to work from home with a newborn in the background. And so it's, it's been something that I've been thinking a lot about personally. And then also professionally, it's something that I've seen in my team as well. And, and many of them are women and many of them are moms and they're um, struggling too. Um, and I find that one of the, one of the interesting sort of thing, you know, things that kind of happened along Caligula's journey that I've now like realized I, I did something kind of wrong and that the way I was thinking about this wasn't right. Like I've always thought that, you know, Cooley Cooley has a, a pretty flexible, family-friendly, you know, policy of we mostly have people work from the office, but they're, you know, able to, to work from home kind of when they need to. And, and sort of the social forum has been like around like one day a week if you want to work from home, that's great. Um, this is pre-pandemic. And three years ago, we were hiring for a head of marketing and uh, made an offer to this amazing woman, and she considered the offer and ended up turning us down because she said, you know, I just, I have two really young kids, and I can't commit to being in the office most of the time. Um, and to me, it was like, okay, well, that's a bummer, but, you know, we're not, we're not going to totally change our policies. Um, and then this past July, we were looking for a head of marketing and sales, and we ended up hiring the same woman, and she's been totally transformative to our company. And I think it was a real interesting lesson as a business owner to to really bring home to me like how much missed talent and missed opportunity CEOs are missing when they don't have like truly family-friendly and truly flexible policies. Curtis explains that there are two major hurdles to creating successful, flexible, and remote work policies. The first is trusting employees to meet their obligations, and the second is fostering collaboration. Historically, and I am totally guilty of this too, uh, that there was there were two main things that were really holding people back and and kind of driving this butts in seats mentality. I think one of them was the idea that employees are less productive at home, that, you know, they're going to be at home and they're going to be like half working, half playing video games or, you know, doing other things that, that weren't work related and that we would see a drop in productivity from our team if everyone was working from home. Um, the second thing I think is really about this idea of like collaboration and that collaboration happens best in person and that if you have everyone remote, you don't have the same ability to like have creative collaboration in particular. You can't just like brainstorm on a whiteboard. Um, 
And, you know, I think that working from home for uh, over a year, <laughs> you know, coming up on, I think, probably be at least a year and a half before most people go back into the office is has really shifted that. I think when you look at a lot of the research that's been done, um, employees and employers say that their workforce is more productive working from home than it has ever been before. Um, and I think you also see, you know, all these new tools being used of like online sticky notes and other ways of creative collaboration and, and just how you can do that via video calls for kind of the overall workforce. A lot of people say that, you know, when there's not the like office chatter, they feel like they can really focus on a, a deep task um, more fully. I think on the other hand, you hear that like culture in terms of having kind of like the team motivation and um, feeling like we're all in this together, you lose some of that when everyone's remote. And that, you know, as good as some of the tools are, that there is some amount of creativity that is better done in person. And so really the way that, that we're thinking about it and we're sort of talking with other CEOs about this is, is the idea of like having collaboration days where that's when, you know, most of the in-person meetings are happening. Um, and then also having like other days that are, are deep focus days and where we're trying not to schedule meetings or, you know, maybe doing like one kind of virtual check-in in the morning, but letting people kind of have those days. And then being really flexible even with that and understanding that things come up and that we have to kind of be acknowledging the whole person's life and, and not just who they are as a, a worker. And I think, you know, a lot of the notions about what work should be comes from this antiquated era of a nine-to-five job. And most office workers check their email at night. They, like, you know, check. <laughs> they have things happening before nine, after five, um, on the weekends. And so we're not in a nine-to-five era, and we shouldn't expect – like, if, if we know that people are, are – working at other times, we should also expect that during the nine to five, they might not be working for that full amount of time too. I'm a big believer in the idea that you hold people to their goals, you don't tie them to their desks. And that, you know, if we are setting really good goals, and if we are checking in on those goals in a regular way, um, that I'm totally fine with people accomplishing those goals whenever they want to. You know, if they work best between the hours of like 12 a.m. and 4 a.m., <laughs> go for it. Like, I think it's really about making sure that, you know, you as a leader of a company are clear about what the company needs to accomplish and what are kind of the individual goals within that that each employee needs to be focused on. If offering telework or flexible schedules isn't an option for companies or for some positions, Kai Nority, the CEO and co-founder of the fresh coconut milk and ice cream startup Kubei, says businesses should open a dialogue with employees to identify what they need and ways to provide it. In the case of parents, this might include paid parental leave and financial help with childcare. If companies want to do better and they want to increase diversity and inclusion, 
well, they really should hire a diversity and inclusion consultant to hold them accountable because these companies need a third party to be held accountable. Because if it's up to them, they'll just be in a vicious cycle of profit over people over and over and over again. And so number one, they need a higher diversity and inclusion consultant. Number two, they need to actually maybe have that diversity and inclusion consultant actually interview employees um, to find out what are their concerns if they're a working father, a single father, a, a single uh, mother, um, you know, working mother. They need to find out, or two parents in the household, like what their struggles are, what, what are their main concerns? Is it childcare? Is it the expense of childcare? Is the childcare way, you know, like a whole hour away? You know, perhaps they need to figure out if they need to invest, you know, in childcare, the development of a childcare associated with the company. Um, You know, and again, paid maternity leave. In In my view, I think paid maternity leave should be for a whole year. Why? Because that allows the mother and the child to create the bond that is needed for the most health for the child. What I would really like to see from big companies like Amazon and Google and like all the big tech companies and just companies in general that are making, you know, multi-millions in profit, I would love to see them really create policies around childcare because fathers also need childcare. Single fathers need childcare you know, single mothers and parents and families and, you know, whether they're, um, you know, two wives or two men who are married. Um, the point is that if they have children, they need child care. There should be, in my opinion, for a restorative future, there should be, you know, subsidies that the government and companies who are making multi-millions in profits, they should be working together to come up with a strategy for uh, subsidizing childcare for their employees. Because what, it, what does that do? Well, that says that you value life. Nordy adds that supporting women who are parents also means creating workspaces like nursing rooms that meet their unique needs. Companies can also make their businesses more inviting for women and all employees by reframing traditional hiring practices so that potential employees are not penalized for so-called gaps in their resume when they were out of the workforce. With this in mind, Curtis advocates that companies offer compensation that's appropriate for the job and consider unique skills potential employees may have honed while out of the workforce. Equal pay is something that everybody is aligned with on principle, but in execution, it can get trickier. And I think often you find for women who have left the workforce that there is this kind of downward trend in their salary and and sort of what they can make when they come back. Um, And I've been a really vocal advocate for this idea that like, I think having a kid and like dealing with a child all day and taking care of a child is like makes you incredibly efficient and makes you, you know, able to sort of handle any challenge. And and so I really think that there's like a competitive advantage to hiring women who have 
manage to, you know, juggle raising kids, um, especially during these these crazy pandemic times. Um, I think they are, you know, going to be even more productive workers because they've they've had to be. Um, so I I think it's kind of reframing what it means to hire somebody who's been out of the workforce for a year or a couple years, um, and making sure that you compensate them appropriately with, you know, what what the job is, is worth and not looking at kind of their time as a full-time caretaker as quote-unquote time off. Nordy echoes this and says companies need to apply this approach not just to parents, but all potential employees. It's, it's about recognizing that there's value in everyone. And then realizing, okay, what are their skill sets? What do they really want to do, right? But we know that mothers and fathers, they care about the next generation. (laughs) We know they care about their children, and they want their children to have opportunities, right? So that desire is already within themselves, and they add that to the company, but it's all about us as leaders, as conscious leaders, restoring opportunity. You know, a lot of people don't want to hire formerly incarcerated folks. They think – you know, that they're not going to show up on time. They think they're all these, just these biases. There's a lot of biases, biases that people have. But there's a lot of statistics that also show that they're, you know, most loyal returning citizens. You know, returning citizens are formerly incarcerated folks. But, you know, they're excited to be a part of society, um, you know, and restore their value and worth back to people and back to their families. While many of these shifts come with financial obligations, Nordy says they are worth it from both the perspective of recruiting and retaining top talent, but also investors are increasingly looking for companies that are doing the right thing by taking a triple bottom line approach like Kubey. Yes, we can make a profit, but we need to have a triple bottom line. You know, uh, for us at Kubey, our triple bottom line is restorative economics, racial and gender equity, and ecology. So after we use our patented, you know, coconut equipment to crack, shred, and cold press the cream out of the fiber, we look at our raw inputs and say, how can that be a value to the next business or to the next urban farm? You know, we can address those three issues by hiring formerly incarcerated women, many of whom are returning mothers many of whom are locked up or who have been locked up and who have gone through reentry programs to restore their dignity, right? And so when we're looking at the triple bottom line, you're saying, how can I have an amazing product? Like Kube is amazing. It is the most decadent, rich, um, clean, organic, clean, non-dairy ice cream without synthetic chemicals, and it doesn't even taste like coconut. It tastes like the plant-based flavor, Mama Earth seeds and um, espresso and, you know, key limes that we add in there, and it's vibrant. Currently in the process of raising funds and reconnecting with investors through her website, where she has her term sheet, Nordy adds investors are interested in companies that can do well by doing good. 
believe it or not, there are a lot of investors and everyday people who are now investors and who feel very empowered and very inspired to invest in the companies doing the right thing, doing the right thing, developing a triple bottom line, looking at how are they creating diversity and inclusion, looking at how are they creating retention programs, employee retention programs. Ultimately, when it comes to recruiting back to the workforce women who have left during the pandemic and creating a more broadly inclusive and diverse workplace, these are only a few strategies. If you're interested in more resources, be sure to check out the story accompanying this podcast on foodnavigatorusa.com for other suggestions from today's guests. With that, we have reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, please subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.